Jersey Taps. Welcome to Living in the Stacks, the bi-weekly podcast where we curl up with a good book and discuss what we thought of it. I'm Diana. I'm John. I'm Melody. And I'm Dex. And we, and Max got called into work. And this was his day off. Rude. Yeah, he wasn't even supposed to be here today. So rude. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so I, I'm guessing he sent you, um, you know, bas- they sent you some, uh, their thoughts on yeah, the I, book. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts from Max. So we're good. We're good there. Sad Max is right. in here. Uh, the book, of course, we're talking about this week is The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. The most (laughs) difficult to obtain book in the history of our podcast so far. So far, yeah. Sorry about that. And it's freaking long, which I did not realize, and I apologize for that, (laughs) too. Yeah, I only got it on, like, last Saturday or Sunday, so I didn't finish it. I'm going to be straight up. (laughs) I crammed it in this morning, uh, what I I had left of it. it. It was just like... I mean, and that's, the thing is, I got it through uh, the the ebook, and it which which on my kit, which the kit, new Kindle update allows for you to to auto scroll through the pages. Yeah, which is really nice, and it's and so it was like five hundred pages, but the last it was five hundred and five pages, mm-hmm. but the last like eight pages don't have anything to do with the actual book if it's not the rest of the book it's like it's acknowledgments and yeah it's acknowledgments and um her uh, bibliography uh because this is historical is- fiction so she's got some source material uh yeah so i apologize for the length i did not know that going in because i had not read this before i said hey let's read that book Hardly anybody has. It's only been out a year. <laughs> yeah, it came out yeah. uh, June of 2017. Um, it's a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, hence the popularity. Be... Yeah, there uh, you go. There... I think it Barnes and Noble did it too for their book club. So like, I, like everybody yeah. is putting this in their book club, including us. Yep. So do we. Hey, it's important to be somewhat, you know, culturally Mainstream. relevant. That's exactly. Good. Uh, it never ha- hurts. No, this movie. This movie. This book has, <laughs> has not been optioned for a movie or television series as of today, but uh, this is this book is such miniseries bait. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could absolutely see like HBO or yeah. sh- one or one of the premium channels trying to do a miniseries of this. Maybe like Amazon or Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it'd have to be one that didn't have like as many restrictions. One that could be a little more free with their like, yeah language and whatnot man if hbo gets it we're gonna see so many more sex scenes yeah (laughs) like i i only knew what was on the back jacket and there is a lot in here that i was not expecting (laughs) (laughs) um so i guess uh, there's probably some content warning here uh regarding yeah well we're always explicit we're gonna we're gonna be we're an explicit podcast in the first place so we're gonna earn that rating damn it yeah Yeah. but but just in terms of content there's some talk of war sex and abortion so that's gonna violence murder and who cares about murder exactly exactly like torture yeah Mm -hmm. i don't i don't i don't have much to say about our author uh, she deals only in historical fiction. Her biggest books uh, before this are the Mistress of Rome series. It's a historical fiction. And then uh, novels about the Bourget. And she's got a book coming out next year called The Huntress, which is very much in the same vein as this book. But it's about yeah. female bombers in the Soviet Union. So, Ooh, so like I this like. is definitely her wheelhouse. Yep. And she also does not have a Wikipedia page. No, she doesn't. Which is, um, which I, is it, I don't know if that's like her wanting to stay off of Wikipedia or if that's her publishers being like, yeah, who fucking cares? She does have her own website. Um, so, you know, we've got, we got, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, we have information about her. It's just odd that, that, that someone with one of the most popular books in the last year doesn't have, it's like when those, um, those kids from, uh, I think, Detroit, uh, the race remembered wannabes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Juju on that beat, whoever the kid, I don't even remember who the kids are. But they don't have a Wikipedia page either. They had one of the biggest songs in the country yeah. two years ago. 
Well, and, you know, nobody knew who Elizabeth Gilbert was until, you know, Oprah decided Eat, Pray, Love was the best thing in the world, so. And and now she's on a podcast network with the McElroys. Yes. She's, Yay. I, yeah. So she's cool. That's all I got. She seems like a nice lady. There's just not much to talk about Kate Quinn. Her background is in voice study, and that's kind of cool, and she loves history, and she doesn't want it to be boring for people, so that's why she writes historical fiction. And center, does a lot of centering on, uh, on female characters, yes. uh, which is a good thing because that's a, I mean, let's face it, the the his, the, the long, the, the long, no matter what culture you're a part in, your history is most likely going to center on the dudes. Yeah. I have to say, though, that, like, I, I, I feel like I learned a bit more about the World Wars reading even the half of this book that I did read mm-hmm. than I did in history class because it was more personal, even though it's fiction. Yes. You can tell it's obviously mm-hmm. well sourced. Um, well, it's so making it personal made it a lot more palatable for me. She she made a through line story that made that made following dates and timelines and locations a little bit more streamlined. I did get thrown off from time to time with all the different names. Uh, I, I won't. Yeah, especially all the spies having different names. Yeah. And... <laughs> I won't lie; that confused me from time to time. Um, but. Yeah, her one of her things that she's she is quoted as saying is that uh, history just oftentimes is just dates and locations and men, and so she wanted to present history in a different way. So, I I I would say she accomplished that goal. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, general opinion about the book. It's good. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. It's good. I listen to it as an audiobook. Uh, usually I don't like to go the audiobook route because I'm one of those people that I'm like, reading is for my eyes and I can dwell over the words and fair, yeah. do all this stuff and I retain it a lot better. Mm-hmm. But um, this audiobook was actually really good. Uh, it was narrated by Saskia Marleveld. I think mm-hmm. that's how you say her name. Mm-hmm. She's from New Zealand, but she was also like raised in France, well, New Zealand and France. And so mm-hmm. she did all the French dialects. So whenever it was like um, an, an e- no, yeah, an Eve chapter, she would speak in an English accent. And then it, whenever it, it was, uh, oh my gosh, Charlie. I'm blanking, Charlie's. Yeah, she'd speak in American and then all the people were speaking in French. And she just was flipping between all these dialects in a really cool way. Did some pretty, nice. yeah. some pretty good, good Scottish. <laughs> yeah, she she did pretty good with all of the voices because okay, so I got the book from the library, and then I was getting behind because this book was really long, and I was struggling to get into it in those first couple chapters, mm-hmm. and so I was actually able to also download the audiobook. So I listened to both, and mm-hmm. I really loved the uh, narrator's performance. However, she made this book last twelve times longer than reading it. <laughs> <laughs> like she I don't she, I don't know but there's there's a lot of pausing in her narration mm. <laughs> I, I don't know it made it, yeah. it, made it yeah. but but I did I did find her adding the voices made mm-hmm. it like an extra little bit entertaining uh, than maybe I would have found it if I was reading it um, plus I can listen to it while I'm at work Yes. So I, I wouldn't have been able to probably finish this book since we had so much trouble getting it if <laughs> if I didn't have the audiobook. So thank you. Thank you, Saskia. <laughs> You're great. Yeah, no, her voice was lovely. And I, d- I do like that the French in the book isn't always translated, and I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice... It's, it's a, I do like the use of language in this. It's very much on point. It feels realistic. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you don't need... To, uh, I mean, it helps to, for if you're... Um, and not you know not French or German speaker that some of the words are translated, yeah. but for the most part, this is a multilingual mm-hmm. book, and it's helped, which makes sense because it takes place in France, <laughs> yeah. France and England, and you know it's, it's, it's dealing with cross cultural barriers and whatnot. That's that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, and we'll get into it. Yeah, the fact that he the 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 spy recruiters is making sure that he can speak all of these languages fluently before he, you know, brings her in is yeah. all, you know, it, it makes all the more sense that the, not everything needs to be understood. Mm-hmm. And it also, then it's a nice treat for you if you do speak like French and German and whatnot. 
Yeah. Um, random fun fact for me regarding this book. Um, the region that Eve is originally from, Alsace, that's where my family is from. Alsace Lorraine. So some some of all of like the contextual stuff about that area is for if our readers don't know, Alsace Lorraine was an area that France and Germany kept fighting over. Uh so everybody from there has very strong French and German heritage. And a lot of them could speak both language. And so I do remember my grandparents talking about all of that stuff. And there's actually, I need to find it. But there is a book that details all of that struggle through a children's book. Hmm. Yes. I need to find it, but it exists. Uh, Okay, so do we want to take a quick break before we dive into the characters? Yeah, Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right. Did you know Asher's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Roroni is a neologism created by the original author of the Roroni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. So we've got two very large characters that we need to talk about, and that would be Charlie and Eve. Hey, now, that's that's very fattest of you. <laughs> I, I did not say that had anything in relation to their size, but rather their importance to the novel. And yeah, our, our two, we're, we're dealing with two protagonists, essentially. I, I would uh, put forth the argument that... Um, Eve could actually be split up into two separate characters. There's World War One Eve and World War or post World War Two Eve. Yeah. Because her personality uh in either story is so completely different. And a lot of the story is about how her personality like how the her experience as a spy mm-hmm. changed her. Oh shit. Um I will pull up the mic by goddamn well. No, I won't because I don't have money to replace this shit. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would I would put forth the argument that we actually have three uh, protagonists to discuss. Okay. I don't disagree. So, uh, all right. So the first one we meet is actually Charlie. Or yeah, Ch- Charlie uh, is our Charlotte St. Clair. Uh, she's a... Uh, She's not in the best uh, situation when we meet her. She is an unwed no. pregnant girl who's being shipped off to Europe with her mother to get an abortion. Yeah. <laughs> that tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah. And then she turns into something very, very different. By the end, yeah. It's, she, be, she begins to take on the uh, characteristics of her they're not related. Are, are they grandmother and granddaughter, or are they just, or, the, or is it just Charlie sought her Eve out? Char- Charlie sought her out. Okay, so there's yeah. no real there's relation. There's no relation. No, no, that was just a, a a ruse. A ruse that Eve used to uh, help Charlie sell the pearls, and that's right. That yeah. kind of helped move them along in their journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just these. She's kind of t- as she's traveling with Eve, she begins to finally. Put uh, become more confident in herself and become less self-loathing and mm-hmm. kind of mature a bit more than than uh, where she was at the very start of this book. Yes, where she's like hating herself for running away uh, to find this strange stranger that she's never met in order to find out information about her uh, missing cousin. Mm-hmm. I had I have. I have a, a a little bone to pick with Charlie. Okay. okay. Where okay. So 
She was being set up as like being an awesome math whiz. Mm -hmm. And then we're treated to her very complex mathematical metaphors of what's happening in her life. Correct. Which, uh, (laughs) which listening to them, I just, I was really annoyed because like, yeah, she's a math whiz. So we have to throw math into her speech. But like the math is like one plus one equals two, but we're going to put people in it instead. And it was just, I don't know. It was real corny. (laughs) Yeah. It was metaphor by numbers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. I I don't, I, I, yeah, literally. Um, I, I don't disagree. I did like, I, okay, so like the pregnancy thing is a big deal throughout the whole book with her. She, okay, so her, yeah, her, she's, her brother killed himself because he was a vic, he's had post-traumatic stress from the war. And so she, her way of dealing it was sleeping around. She got pregnant. Parents decide we're going to take care of this so it doesn't ruin the rest of your life. But she, her life sucks anyways. Yeah, she's very kind of self-loathing. She's very self-loathing. Uh, but I really did like the fact that she just kept referring to it as her little problem. And it wasn't real for her. She's like, I don't even know how to feel about this. Like, is this happening? Huh? I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I liked it from the perspective of... Huh, I don't know. This is this is going to, like, tread on on some on some feelings but I feel like uh her calling it little problem emphasizing that like she doesn't even know this thing exists Mm -hmm. it's really I don't know it it kind of I'm trying to find a tactful way to say this with with abortion with with abortion debates you know everyone's like okay well it's a baby from conception you know Mm -hmm. all this and that but like you know if you if you let people wait for so long you don't even know you have it for so long and it's just kind of a it was an illustration of how like little of a thing it seems when it first starts well i don't know it was just a thing i just i i liked that she was so detached from it Mm -hmm. and many women have that feeling uh, yeah, a, a lot of women are made to feel like, oh, the second you find out you're pregnant, this is either the greatest thing in the world or it's the worst thing. And she's just kind of like, huh? How am I supposed to feel about this? Mm-hmm. And I, I liked there being a character that way because I, I don't see that very often. Um, yeah, it's either one or the other. And she was somewhere in the middle like, OK, I, apparently I'm supposed to be ashamed of this. But is this really happening? What am I supposed to do? Yes, I've I've never had a baby, but I feel like if and when I do, I I feel like I would feel very similarly about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't know, it, it's it's hard to love something or care about it or understand its implications until mm-hmm. it's more of a like tangible thing. Yeah, but who knows? Oh, Motherhood yeah. is a ride. <laughs> yeah, as as the resident parent here. Um, I can hmm. I can 100% agree that you're like that when I was pregnant with my first child I was like, huh okay so that's happening, <laughs> and and it honestly did not become like real and I accepted like I wasn't in denial but I was just like I didn't buy any baby stuff or anything until we knew um, the gender like we did like I didn't I didn't because I was just like okay this is just all gonna end badly so I I'm just. I'm just gonna hold my breath until we get to a certain point. Yeah, until you, it's uh, it's something concrete. Like we, there's a you, you can tell it's more of a baby and not literally a clump of cells formulating and trying to convulge into being. I, I, a lot of people like to use the term parasite, and I can tell you right now, mm. my first child was a, nothing but a parasite for those first couple months because I was sick. <laughs> I, I lost 30 pounds. Hi, hi, Diana's first kid. Oh. Hope you're listening to I lost 30 pounds. I was so sick. Oh, Ooh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> I love her yes. dearly, but I did not like her then. 
<laughs> yeah, wait till <laughs> now you can't wait till she turns eighteen. Yeah, but I, oh, I, I, I thought she it, was, it was like just anyway, a very realistic depiction. Like I don't know, it seemed organic. It didn't seem corny or yeah. overly dramatic. It was just like, okay, well, I'm pregnant. It's gonna change my life, but who knows how? Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah, even it, know. Especially <laughs> since it's not like and, like it's it's one thing when a pregnancy is. It's planned out like you wanted the child. It's this is literally an accident. This is her having, uh, you know, slept around with different guys. It one of them managed to impregnate her, and it's more a matter of, huh? Well, this is a thing now, I guess. Uh, well now, okay. Now I gotta now I gotta deal with what I've been up to. Yep. Yeah. And I, and um, I think yeah. Go. I liked that her her ambivalence made sense for her character and then also her overbearing mother. And then her her decision later on to decide to keep the child also made sense because for her uh, not having the child would have kept her in the same life. But choosing to have the child meant that she could change her fate, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of like that. Um. I, I I found that fun, and then she has a little romance there, which I didn't say no to. So. Yeah. <laughs> Especially that start. It starts off with yeah. Uh, it starts it starts off with Charlie kind of taking the lead, mm-hmm. which is definitely and she and she and we when we hear the narration in her head about it, it's like she even she like has those thoughts in the back of her head like poor slut mm-hmm. skank. Look at you, just glomming on to the next man you see. Yeah. And meanwhile, Finch is like, "Huh? Well, uh, well, I don't mind. Well, I don't mind your forwardness, but I would like to actually, you know, date you. Yeah, because I like you. Yeah. See, I... I almost sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I almost saw that more of like she assumed that he would come on to her anyways because that's what all guys did mm-hmm. when they found out that you know she wasn't gonna. Re- uh, reject and she, you know, she obviously wasn't quote unquote this pure little thing that mm-hmm. he or she thought he thought she thought that he thought she was. Mm-hmm. Words. Um, <laughs> so it, it felt more like you know, she was taking charge, like she thought it was inevitable anyway, so she was just trying to take charge of it mm-hmm. and not necessarily like she wanted it but like you know oh, there's worse things that could happen type deals well and i like that later he he explains to her that she's been dealing with boys and he's a man i love that exchange too that was that was perfect because he wants to take her on a date and she's like well i haven't done this before and i love that he explains that there are 50 year old men uh, there are 50 year olds who are boys and there are 15 year olds that are men and it's all in how they exactly. behave and I was just like, that is fucking sexy. Yeah, I'm like, sign me up. Get me one yes. of those. I will that, take now imagine one. him saying that in a Scottish brogue. No. <laughs> there, there, oh. No, there, that is too are, sexy. Too there sexy. There are 50-year-olds who are boys, and there are 15-year-olds who are men. Yeah. I feel like that was more Russian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's, there's, a bit a of, there's a bit of that. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, then he ends that whole exchange with like, "I'll call you, I call you," and uh, she's like, "Boys don't call, men call, uh, men call." <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I'm I'm bad at I'm yeah. not the best at acting. Yeah, you you can't do but this boy, audio yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, um, but at the same time, like, and of course, I'm all, I mean, he's a bit old for the part, but I'm totally imagining David Tennant. David Tennant, no. he's a, if he was, if we're talking like tenth Doctor era David Tennant, he would play. He would. He. I'm the kind of matching him at least as the voice. Uh, of, he's a little too of, goofy. Uh, he's too yeah, he's goofy. not quite the the, the, is, the hard and scruffy type. Ben is yeah. much more reserved. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, point is, Finn is a very. It just like I mean they established right off the bat that he is an ex-con. Mm-hmm. Well, not off the bat, but along the way you learn that Finn is an ex-con who kind of gets caught up in as Eve's um, sort of man, not man servant, but like chauffeur and man of all work. Mm-hmm. Exactly, 
and she he's kind of, he's kind of uh, t- taken to helping out this older woman who's who doesn't take any shit and he and he doesn't mind. Mm-hmm. And so when this young girl comes into the picture, he's not you know he 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 sees that she's taking taking um, initiative, mm-hmm. and he's like, that's nice and all, but you know. Let's, you know, I don't, and this is not the order I like to go with things, but I don't care. Like, yeah. he's not, he's not as judgmental as guys in that time would be. And I think it, it kind of establishes that, yeah, he's, did they ever, rev- I, I, I think I'm, I'm not remembering the part if he ever actually revealed what he did or if it was always yes. just, I stole, I stole the Mona Lisa from the British Museum. That was a it's, little closer. It's yeah. not, not there quite. anymore. That's why. <laughs> Um, he, I, I, he assaulted I, somebody. Okay, that's why he ended up in prison. See, I was that mentioned later in the book because I remember him saying that to Charlie's mom, and then following it up with throwing Americans in the Thames. Yeah, no, no he's, it's, he's it's said, later in the book. It. Okay, yeah. I I did like their their back and forth exchange with Charlie and Finn about what what were you in for? I did this. What you I did this. That's a lie. Why do you keep asking? Cuz I like to hear you lie. Oh. <laughs> Cuz that was a cliche. Uh it was it, it, I, 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 it was cliche as hell, but I I think that was kind of the point that she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> it's more like you're eh, you're hot. I like I like your I like your accent. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't care. Um and and that's kind of where she was at. Uh, emotionally was that she didn't care because she had lost her brother she seemingly lost her cousin and this is her trying to cling on to some hope that the last bit of her childhood innocence is is still out there and alive Mm. and this movie's like yeah sorry nah war's like war's hell it fucks you up I do have but, a, uh, a thing with, with Charlie, though. I do feel that she started very blank slate. Maybe that was mm-hmm. the point, you know, that she was so emotionally devastated that she was pretty blank. Mm-hmm. And then she's finding life. Um, yes. That might have been the well, intention. But I feel like she she just didn't have, like, she, we were watching her evolve, but we were watching her evolve from something very amorphous and blank. I guess. You gotta think about her mom, too. Like, yeah. she was kept under her mom's thumb. And it may not have been, like, physical abuse, but there was a lot of, you're going to do this, mm-hmm. this, this, because that's what, that's what, ex- that's what is expected of you. And, well, you know, we're not going to give you any say in this because we're your parents. We know best. And we're going to know best until we marry you off. And then you'll be some other man's problem. She grew up in a, in a, it feels like in an environment where girls were just living dolls mm-hmm. to be shuffled around until they find their husband. Exactly. Oh, and yeah. that, that, that husband's property. It's still that sort of I, I sense of your property. Right now, you're, you're our property. And then once we get you, once we marry you off, then you're his property. Then you're not our problem anymore. Well, they make it very clear that. Charlie's supposed to do X, Y, Z, and she is barely hitting the marks. She can't wear the latest styles because they look horrible on her. She's con- she's just constantly uncomfortable. Uh, she, you know, with boys, she's just like, oh, I'm just going to be easy because I can try to feel something. I mean, she, she can't do anything right in the eyes of her parents, for sure. And uh, I think my... I know that feeling. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I've I've been there. I think my favorite scene with Charlie is when she goes to buy new clothes. Oh yeah, that was fantastic. Makeover, it, makeover, makeover. I know makeover, makeover can <laughs> save everything, but for her it really was for this shop person to n- tell her flat out the new styles aren't going to work for you. This is what you need to wear, and she tries it on, and she's like, I feel comfortable, and I feel like me. And yeah, I, yeah and then I really did my I. I love the exchange. Like, I want that black dress. Only if you promise to wear it with pearls and red lipstick. <laughs> very red lipstick. It's, yes. It's very French, and I adore it. It makes me very happy. <laughs> this the, That whole exchange for my... I don't know if anybody else watches um, Queer Eye on Netflix. Yeah. The, the new Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. That, that, that whole exchange reminded me of uh, Tan France. Mm-hmm. Uh getting a guy into his new look and whatnot and telling him what's going to look right and what's going to not. Yes. 
Loved it. Oh, I love Dan Brands. I love all of them. They're so great. <laughs> I just love Queer Eye in general. Oh, the new Queer Eye is amazing. Yes. And all of them are amazing. I love them. Yes. And I love Anthony all... is my baby. Oh, Anthony's everyone. I love Every... little Anthony. Like, everyone hates him, but they love him. <laughs> I fucking love Anthony. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, so much for... This is what happens when we don't have movies to go on tangents over. Yeah, we move Tangent. into TV territory. Tangents. Uh, at any rate, um, yeah, I think the, the the main thing that people are we should probably mention is that this is one of those cases. I I what was there was another didn't we have another book like this where it would cut between the different narrators? Night circus. I, yeah, the night circus kind of jumped back and forth. But at least what I liked about this one over the night circus is that it was all one straight line. Each each track kept on the same timeline and didn't jump back and fucking forth. Well, it technically well, I mean, it, 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 went back I mean, it, and forth. But, but yeah, you know what I but mean. linearly yeah. when it skipped back, you know. Well, well, both yeah. of our stories eventually converged. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, and when they did, it, it also kind of made sense because it was all it was all linear. Yes. Too. That's the other thing. We're not dealing with like five different train tracks trying to coalesce into one. We've had one train track. We're following one train way back in the line, and then eventually that train's going to meet up with another train way yeah. up at the front of the line. Yeah. And then, and when it does, it work. It just, you know, clinks into clinks in perfectly, and it's all one nice solid train of thought. All right, so before we move on, how do y'all feel about Charlie's ending? You mean the epilogue or the very end of the book? Uh, the the end of the book, her, I mean the epilogue too, I guess. But you know, she 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 make she has this child and she makes a life with Finn in grass. Ross. I was telling Dex that it reminded me very much of Mockingjay's ending. Yeah, a little bit. It's a bit better. I will say it's a bit better than Mockingjay because you also had Heath coming into the picture just to add in some of that nice cut sort of sourness to, that she brings to everything. Where it's because she's such a her angry old lady and uh like the whole the fact that the last line of the book is her getting hugged by charlie in this big old happy embrace and he's just like stupid yank yeah god damn yanks uh and i love i love that that's the end the book the note that the book ends on is eve being like god damn yanks and their emotional and their emotionality uh I mean, very British sentiment too. Charlie's ending oh. is probably about as good as she could possibly get out of her circumstance in life. <laughs> oh, she hit the um, jackpot! Yeah, like she's got got a nice, you know, brusque Scottish man who's real good around cars. Just gets given a fancy car that's like real expensive. Gets yep. to have her baby and not be, like, judged about it because now she's married. Mm-hmm. Gets to use her career and her major in college <laughs> to, to bookkeep for, you know, their small business that they've opened together. And it's just, <laughs> I'm like, well, damn. Got her little rosebud. Yeah. Did pretty good oh. for herself. Yes, uh, Dex, she named her child Evelyn Rose, which I called from, like, halfway Aww. through the books like she's gonna name that baby Evelyn Rose that's what it's gonna be yeah. what happened to Rose's kid Rose well, was she and killed her while she was pregnant yeah because the whole point was by the time I thought they... yeah because what happens is um in the second in the towards the end of part four by the by that time you learned that uh Renee Renee he was he, he was a turncoat who was working for the Germans at the time for his own uh, survival and when uh, this girl I think she found out about it or something during during uh, well during Nazi occupation and um, he turned or she was doing something to subvert the Nazi Nazi occupiers and he turned her over and they just you know straight up shot her dead. Well, oh, so it was implied that, you know, she was still having contact with her mom after uh, having the kid. Yeah. Yeah, but the kid, she we got know she changed right her name. We know she changed her name and she worked for Renee, but mm-hmm. it's never officially known whether or not she was a part of the Alice Network, um, but she had changed her name and we know that Renee um, admits that he had become suspicious so whether or not she was, he was going to report her. And so mm-hmm. she was shot 
um, her and her child were shot, and then the whole city that she was living or town was bombed or yeah into oblivion, set fire. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yep. And only uh, one old grim. lady lived to tell the lovely tale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do like that. Uh, I I think the the, ha- the happy ending is a bit it's a bit saccharine, but I think after such like tr- almost traumatic storytelling up until that point, mm-hmm. I get why you'd want to end things on a happy note. You know, it, you know? it felt earned. Mm-hmm. I felt like we went through enough crap that it was okay, and I don't always feel that when we get a happy ending. I think I would have liked just a, a tad bit more mystery to it. Sure. I like I like that it is happy. I wouldn't mind happy, but it's kind of like the end of Harry Potter, how they like tried to make that all just like a big happy, lovely thing. Yeah. It, it just kind of yeah, was like, huh. <laughs> I would have liked yeah. them never hearing from Evelyn again. Yes. I, love, I, think I, I think the ending of the book itself was fine. Like... Yeah. Uh, Charlie and Finn go off and live their happy, happy, happy life, and Evelyn reconnects with Violet, and then that's just the end of the book. We yeah. don't. Evelyn never tries to reconnect with Charlie again. It's just a matter of we did the thing. Yeah. And now we can finally live better lives uh, on our own. I mean, it's nice that Evelyn wanted to reconnect. It's all nice sentiment, but at the ma- as, as by that point, it's just like okay, n- yeah, yeah. It's 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 very heartstring. It's like it's almost like you can see. Kate Quinn trying to reach for your heartstrings like eh eh no I I am yeah like that's nice and all but I I saw you coming for it like I'm good yeah. I didn't need that I didn't need it specifically yeah but I mean I felt I felt satisfied there's some books mm-hmm. that end you worked really hard for them uh, yeah. and then with this one being 500 pages I think yeah. we deserved a nice clean cut tie up all the strings all right we're good let's go. And we don't have to be like, oh, fuck. I just read this, and now, yeah. shit. <laughs> so I do, I, I do I like that. Okay. I, think, I think there's at least 100 pages of fat that could have been trimmed out of this book. Mm-hmm. I think a movie... That's why I'm not sure that we need a miniseries specifically, because this with the, with the there's a lot of ex- excessive points that can be cut, so I think a two, two maybe two-and-a-half-hour movie could easily trim the fat and make a nice lean story out of it. Uh, which that's the other thing too. This is very cinematic the way it plays out. This feels like almost written like it will like it's not specifically a it doesn't feel like a backdoor um like how you know like how I've we've mentioned this before, like how Mark Millar writes his comics essentially as way as backdoors into making movies. Mm-hmm. This didn't feel specifically like that but it definitely felt inspired by a lot of movies of that of that ilk of that of this sort of espionage driven war movie and mm-hmm. this feels like it was almost too perfect to be like and we brought this up like my antonia doesn't need, doesn't specifically need to be a movie it's not very cinematic mm-hmm. whereas this is a compelling narrative yes. driven story that would work perfectly for a film or even like a mini series Makes me wonder if that's just a symptom of modern literature, though. Like, a lot of the books that we've read past a certain time period, mm-hmm. um, you know, they do read very cinematically, and it's just because we have watched so many movies, and the craft of film has, uh, I mean, in some ways evolved, in some ways devolved. Um, <laughs> and we're that's how we're used to getting stories now. So much of it's visual, so much of it has this rhythm to it that that's well, that's how we get them now and it's so i think that's part of it but yeah i be, agree the um the reverse of that in that we are so uh, anticipating a film of a book if it's good that we're automatically trying to envision it as a movie as we're reading it hmm. regardless yeah. of how it's written yeah mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a, we got we, we have a chicken and the egg situation going on <laughs> Yeah, I think I think partly it is uh, publishers are being like, well, we always want to keep a film option in mind. So sure. if you write it like it, like you're writing a movie, it doesn't hurt. And I think there are authors. I think I mean, hell, you could probably fi- we could probably find books that don't read like they could be a movie. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, then and I'm sure we could, you know, it's like whenever they say the unfilmable novel, um, 
the idea that this book is so complicated that you can't imagine seeing a film made out of it. So, I mean, there's the, oh, there's always those books out there. It's just a matter of some writers prefer, you know, straight... Because, I mean, I because th- it wasn't like the Scarlet Pimpernel, another one of those things where it's like very action-driven sort of narrative melodrama. And that was like the 15th century or something like that. Mm. So, I mean, like, it, it all depends on the author, ultimately. Yeah. And... Kate Quinn feels like that's another um uh I forget his name but he does like the Michener I think James Michener does all of those big sweeping historical epics and I think she's kind of following in that line of not not to the same ends because he's he's like a thousand pages massive tomes of of writing and she's not that far gone yet but she's definitely the idea that well like like you mentioned that she wants to make history relatable Mm -hmm. and so she's able to recreate history in a way that makes it compelling yeah all right well let's talk about eve (laughs) best character in the whole book she's so strong such a good character from from the very beginning like she's she has Mm. a weakness uh, in that she has a stutter, which Kate Quinn's husband actually has a stammer, a stutter. And it was his idea to give their protagonist that this as an attribute to then be used as a strength. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. I like that. I do have, I do have to say that, like, even, like, I know uh, Charlie, too, feels like she's not entirely neurotypical. The way that she... um. Uh, kind of hyper focuses on how math relates to everything and she doesn't quite like she kind of misses some social yes stuff like the the, the fact that both uh uh char- both protagonists could be read as non-neurotypical mm-hmm. um really really made me happy cuz we don't get a lot of uh neurodiverse representation in, in media media Agreed. and what it is it's always like the good doctor where mm-hmm. our our doctor our hero doctor has asperger's but yeah, he's a uh, savant uh, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he's basically shell he might have if it was if, it, if we wanted to we could have made him sheldon mm. and, and then we have sheldon exactly yeah. <laughs> where he's not actually on the spectrum but he might as well be yeah. You're right, I'm like, anyway, yeah, it, whatever, and, it, and that goes all the way back even to Monk, where it's like, hey, here's a weird quirk, let's make him our protagonist. Okay, how do we write it? Well, let's make him like he has superpowers. <laughs> That's what it becomes. It literally becomes, like, even in Psych, where it parodies that, his superpower is hyper is hyper attention to detail. That's it. And even though it's a parody of those kinds of shows... And it's a comedy, but it's still always that these non-neurotypicals either have to have superpowers or they're like the special needs kid that need, that's always like that the real protagonist takes care of. You know, I think the only the only time it wasn't a, necessarily a superpower was Forrest Gump. Hmm. And even then it was all saccharine and overly overly sentimental the way they, they, that he was written. Yeah. I just love how uh, fortuitous Eve is, just from the very beginning. That that this is just I I just I I want to fight. I want to fight in any way I can. That that line feels like it was made for a trailer. Yeah. The idea that, that you're hearing her, I want to. What is it? I want to fight. And that that seems like something like uh, what's the girl playing? Um, Felicity something. She's gonna be Ruth Bader Ginsburg later this year. She Jones. Was in, that's yeah, it's Joe. Okay, but yeah, Felicity. That feels like something she it, she would be playing Eve in the movie, and like her stutter, stammering a bit, trying to get it out. But yeah, she's she's like even with this seeming handicap, she's tough as nails and really good at what she does. And she and she's and she consciously uses it to her advantage. Yes. Um, I love that her anger is what makes it subside. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... Yeah, exactly. That, that becomes a... Uh, she has a almost catchphrase that comes up so often. It's like whenever people comment that, oh, you know, you're, 
you know, your stammer has gotten better. Yeah, it, it disappears. It, it, it's, it's less pronounced when I'm angry or drunk. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's so. Yeah, it's. She's so cool. I love. I, mean, I, lo- I, I love. I like young Eve, but I love old old Eve. I'm imagining what I don't know how old she is, but I'm imagining definitely someone like a a Kate Blanchett, some older woman who's just like. Uh, at first, she's like uh, you. You think she's like the you know depressing, drunk, angry, drunk, and then by the time you know as things go go along, she's just the tough as nails, takes no shit. Yo, uh, hard ass. Exactly. Kate Quinn's uh, dream yeah. casting for older Eve is Emma Thompson. Fuck oh. yes! Oh. She could oh play my broad God, I so it. good because older Eve is such a broad. I love it. Yeah, that is that is perfect casting. Okay. That is absolutely... Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and, and of course, Emma Thompson has a history of playing um, those kinds of don't take any shit from every anybody. Yeah, I don't give a fuck what you think. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I also love like I'm also remind the, the drunkenness reminds me of when Emma Thompson got up at the Golden Globes. She takes off, she's like wine drunk up there, takes off her shoes. Like I don't, I don't fucking care. Whatever. I think she just wants something, so she's like, "Cool, this is awesome." You know See ya. That's funny. Older <laughs> Eve, especially when she's drunk, reminds me a lot of Hamish. From Hunger Games. A bit, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It been through been some, through crazy some shit. shit. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I, this is almost. It's almost like too good to. Like, I can't imagine anything all that. I like. I'm trying to think of just anything bad. No, there's... I could say, like, other than length. But, like, the story... The story we got was excellent. Like, the, the ending note was a bit tacked on, mm-hmm. the epilogue. But I think most... There's a lot of epilogues that feel like... almost They could have easily been editors. Now, like, make it end on a happy note. Yeah. Uh, so, I, who knows I think they could have but... easily made that another chapter and it would have been fine. What's really interesting about Eve is that, unlike Charlie, I felt like I knew Eve right away, even though Mm -hmm. she was sort of the most mysterious. Like, I felt like I knew her. Um, Mm -hmm. And then even though she's being other people, you still feel like you know her somehow. And it was just really well written the way, um, like, while she's acting as Marguerite, Mm -hmm. she's still, you know, her. And that, that dichotomy is a really difficult thing to balance mm-hmm. where you still feel connected to the, the actual character. And I don't know. I just I really appreciated that. It's cool. No, I, she's, uh, Kate Quinn wrote this very consistently with Eve because every time we learned something about past Eve, it helped inform what we already knew mm-hmm. about current Eve, um, our current timeline. I think timeline. that's what I, that's what I liked was that like when you meet, uh, current Eve, and then the first time you meet, like, I'm pretty sure you meet current Eve before you meet uh, past Eve. Yeah. Yes. Past Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the two characters are so completely different. But you, like, you can totally see how they're linked, though. Yeah, and then throughout Eve's story, you see how things, like, okay, well, she got these nasty, deformed hands because she was a spy. Okay, so we're you know you're gonna learn how she got fucked up. Yeah, and like uh, Charlie notes her stammer when she's drunk, thinking, okay, it must just show up when she's drunk. And then when you cut he, back to yeah, you cut back to the when we meet past Eve for the first time. Okay, she has the stammer, but she knows she does. And while it irritates her, she she kind of uses it to her defense to seem innocent and you know kind of simple mm-hmm. but really being using it as like a way to take advantage of people's prejudices and and um, sympathies yes. yeah and that's kind of what garners for the attention of captain cameron the guy who actually recruits her to become a spy for uh the british army mm-hmm. and it's 
it's like, yeah, no, I totally see through your through through you. Yeah, you may think you've got everybody fooled, but here's this, this, and this. Like he points out uh, the whole thing of her um, telling a lie about getting uh, hit on by a taxi cab. Yeah. yeah by a taxi driver and so she had to had a delay getting to work and he's like yeah no but i mean but your the details are all flubbed up here and here there's no way that happened and like do you speak french all right you're from this region do you speak german and he's like had to ask her four times before yeah. she finally admitted yeah i speak german and it's just a matter of like he see he's he, it's like she's caught off guard by the fact that she's finally been caught out yeah. but at the same time he's giving her that he, it's like it's the whole recruitment thing of like we want you to join the Avengers Initiative, uh, essentially, and it's her coming to realize that no, I want to be. I, I don't. I hate being useless. I want to make. I want to be useful. I want to do stuff. Yeah. And she that's become a major uh, character point for her throughout the book. Is that even like I think even Charlie brought it up like you could easily just retire and you know live your life. Why do you keep doing this sort of thing? And she's like, I don't want to feel useless. I, I, that's the one thing I don't want to be is, is feel useless and I always want to be doing something with my time mm-hmm. even if it's drinking yeah. yeah even if it's going and shooting lions <laughs> there we go oh, there's the bad thing <laughs> there you go but it was okay, a time yeah. thing was all, it was it was a time yeah. thing, exactly yeah. like Teddy Roosevelt was a wildly progressive president for the time but he also like liked killing things so I mean like he's it, that's just a time period thing. That was just a thing that it's still a thing people do, but we see it as more archaic mm-hmm. nowadays. Is there anything else? There? Oh, uh, do you have any of uh, Max's thoughts? Yes, I have Max's thoughts. Let me pull it up. Give me just one moment. All right, and I'm just going to read what Max wrote because Max wrote some cool stuff. Uh, Max says, I enjoyed the book a lot. I know a lot of people like me. Uh, sorry. I enjoyed this book a lot. I know not a lot of people like road trip stories, but I'm a big fan of the descriptions of the places they visit. I also think Charlie and Eve are two very interesting examples of how people react differently to war, loss, or other crisis. Eve thinks, what can I do to help even if no one will let me fight? While Charlie's response to losing her brother is to sleep around in the hopes of feeling something again. And while Eve experienced Eve. And while Eve's experience in the war has made her jaded and vengeful, all Charlie wants is to find the only other person in her family who understands her. And the relationship between them and how they play off each other is a lot of fun. Best road trip story we've read so far. It's a great road trip story. <laughs> it's, it's super fun. Um, is there, is there anything you guys wanted to point out on... We never really talked to... What? We never really talked about the villains, so to speak. I mean, he only shows up by the very end, but at the same time, like, well, he's our, the closest Renee thing do, to a villain we have. Renee, everything, uh, is a bad dude, but, I mean, there's, I mean, he's a bad dude. I like that they didn't try to make us sympathize with him at all. It's a fucking creep. I don't yeah, think yeah, I've exactly, ever yeah. read Baudelaire, but I think, uh, Kate Quinn has, uh, ruined Baudelaire for a lot yeah. of people. <laughs> there you go. It's tainted now. Yeah. Fucking creep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty yeah, much, especially... he's just an awful man. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. at first I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily think he was that awful at first, but he turned into being awful. And then when we finally met him, he's just like, oh yeah, no, fuck you. Like, like fuck, fuck you with a cactus. But, but... Just all, fuck yeah. all the way out of here, asshole. But I liked, nah. I liked his complexity. You know, he wasn't just like, well, he's awful. He like, you know, he's abusing people and he's hitting the women in the in the thing. I mean, he's kind of abusing them. He's like grooming young girls. Uh, but <laughs> uh, you know, he's not like that overt, like evil, like you see in like a kids movie, or like, oh, well, he must be yeah, the evil he's... one because he's doing evil things. Like, you know, he starts off he, as a he... guy who, okay, well, he's opportunistic, but. So were a lot of people in the war, because that's how you survive a lot of the time. Um, but then it just kind of evolved. Then you realize that, no, there, there's real malice on, in his actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just about, like... Ugh, I almost... 
I gagged a little when the the, the first time he kind of propositioned Eve. Mm-hmm. Like, I should like to have you. And I'm like, ugh. Uh, I do like I, I do like that Charlie finally is the one to break him. I mean, you'd you think it, you would hope it'd be Eve, but Charlie ultimate, I mean, she does it by saying, oh no, Eve won. Like, you lost. We, You totally lost. Not only did I, was I able to find, not only did a teenage girl find you by making phone calls, she, she never broke. She never broke down. You lied because you're, you're a loser. She won. And he's fun, and then that's what finally breaks him, and so they could turn the tails and take him out. I'm gonna have to finish this book. Yeah. It's, it's good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, why don't we go ahead and move into our final thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay, I guess I'll start. I'm gonna have to finish this book. <laughs> that, so we have Dex's final thoughts. Dex has to finish. Uh, my final thoughts are, while this book was a bit of a slog in that it's 500 pages and you could have cut some out, I'm ve- I felt very satisfied when I finished it. So I would recommend. Yeah, I I don't see my... I think the length is what's keeping me from rereading it. I, I, I don't have the time to really sink into that length of a book anymore. But... Especially with this podcast? When we're reading something different every two weeks. Exactly. So I mean, like, I can see myself. I can see myself like re-listening to an audio book or something like that. But uh, maybe I, 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 depending on how good the movie is, because they have to. They have to option this at some point. I, I, and, I can't see Reese Witherspoon not. <laughs> exactly. If she's if she's lot gearing up to to you know make it out there, make it out to the wider populace and and especially with her connections i'm sure she'd be like look i'll produce the damn thing myself if i have to if she liked it that much so i i can't i would probably like the movie version of this uh but at the same time the book is still a phenomenal read if you haven't yet please do go out and read this book uh so i may not read it again anytime soon but i would highly recommend it for anybody out there especially if you're big into war and espionage kind of thrillers it's very good in that regard oh uh, yeah I've, I've i pretty much agree i really liked it um yay uh, yeah <laughs> uh, I, think, <laughs> I think um i think reading it as an audiobook because of it's so long and i i do have a lot of free audio time in my day to dedicate to listening to stories i think this story lends itself really well um in an audio audio way just because the writing you know isn't that poetic where you feel like you need to look at it there's a lot of action in it the the dialect and the um the way it was performed is excellent um if if not a bit slow Uh, i think it's like a 15 hour audiobook yeah uh (laughs) but it was uh it was really good and there's not not really a dull moment in it um Again, this is just a me thing. I, I probably won't read it again anytime soon, but I definitely would consume other media of it if it was adapted. I liked it enough to experience it again, but with it being so long, I don't I don't think I'll return to it, but I do I, I hold it in high regard. It's one of the better books we've read. I win so much. You did. You did good. <laughs> good pick. Yay. Uh, Max Max did not say whether or not he would recommend, but he liked it, so I'm going to say he would probably recommend it to the appropriate person. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded like Max really dug it. I'm kind of yeah. kind of sucks that they can't make it here uh, ultimately, but yeah, we'll, we can always... I say this every week, somebody's out, but I'll say, we'll prick their brain next episode, and then no, completely forgot. Yeah. <laughs> nah. uh, but, yeah, it's like the uh, final question that, on the Bim Bam. They never do talk about yeah, it. Nope. No. <laughs> uh, so with that out of the way, we look ahead to next week where we end this cycle on me. And I picked something much, much uh, more lighthearted. <laughs> after, after two books of darkness and sort of trauma, we are going to, we're going to go off into space. And we are going to explore the galaxy as hitchhikers hey, in Douglas Adams. Of, the end of Earth is pretty dark, yo. True, but <laughs> it's it's so lighthearted when it comes dark. to Douglas Adams. Because, yeah, we're reading Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The, 
the first book in the in the franchise, yeah. not the except like the titles of the later books are hilarious. Uh, thanks so long, thanks for all the fish. Uh, God, I love Douglas Adams. It's gonna be fun, yeah. kind of going into his backstory because he's. I know he specifically actually wrote episodes of Doctor Who back in the day as well, and that this started out as a radio play. So this is going to be interesting, and I like it. I love, I love the book, and I love every anything that wants to attempt to be that. And I just lost the game. <laughs> Where did that come from? Forty-two. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it! All right, yeah. So, so expect that for next week, next episode. We're, we're every two weeks. Uh, and I think we're about done for this one. Yep. All right. Let's get into our plugs. We want to thank Magdalene Rose for her artwork. You can find her on Twitter at the Magdalene Rose. And she hosts the Super Princess Tea Party on YouTube. We'd also like to thank She just did some Halloween stuff uh, at, uh, So a couple weeks ago as of this recording. So... She's, she tends to get more, she actually gets more political than we do, uh, but she is, she's, I like her. I've always liked her. I even liked her back when, I, I liked her back when she was doing the uh, Korean adaptation, uh, live action adaptation of Sailor Moon, I believe it was. I think it was a Korean drama version, or it may have been Japanese, I forget. But point is, she did, she started off doing Sailor Moon reviews, and now she's kind of doing whatever works for her, whatever is kind of on her mind at the time. And she does really amazing artwork, and I love and I love everything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd also like to thank Dream States for the theme music. You can check them out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and anywhere else music is streamed. You can check out their debut albums, parts one and two, and their new album is called Mode of Being. It's really good. All good music. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for me, Diana, I will not be on our next episode because I will be at Disney World when it's recorded. Well, freaking die. I'm celebrating my 10 year wedding anniversary, so shove it. <laughs> Yay! Uh, uh, which, which are, are you staying at one of the resorts or? Yes. Uh, we, which one? We're staying at the music resort. Aww. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. We've always did Animal Kingdom because my aunt loved the Animal Kingdom because they were just, it was right, we'd always get rooms right with window views to the safari outside. Nice. She she adored that stuff whenever we went. Uh, so yeah, you, you'll have to give us your thoughts uh, before you leave. <laughs> yes, uh, my thoughts will be here even though I will not be. Uh, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at Modcaster. You can find all of my other podcasts on uh, Macintosh and Mod. And then I'm also a cast member of the actual play Kids on Bikes podcast. And by the hot time you're hearing this, I'll be on another episode of Macintosh and Mod. Uh, when is this coming out? Because I don't think you will. Two weeks from now. Nope. Will, will, will we not? Oh. Nope. You're we'll, episode- reco- we'll, we'll be recording it. Yes. So, next episode, <laughs> I'll be on it. Yeah, probably. Yes, I believe so. Yes. Timey, why me? Yes, timey, Ti- Wibbly wobbly, timey, why me stuff. Uh, the first time 13 says that, I'm a fucking die. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I'll be doing, I'll be continually doing, um, uh, Popcorn Junkie. I did, we, Ma- uh, Mike and I did get Majiday back up and running. We've started off our season two of Majiday with Documental, the, uh, comedy series on Amazon Prime by, uh, famous Japanese comedian, uh, Matsuhiro, I forget his last name but he's be- he's best known as part of downtown uh uh as half of the comedy duo downtown and documental is basically him forcing other comedians to make each other laugh for 10 million yen and they go such bizarre places it is it is mental <laughs> and it's highly recommendable you can check that out on gumby cat networks and then by the time this comes out i think it'll be I think the new Harry Potter one will be what we're covering, but um, yeah, we're getting into the Thanksgiving season, and of course, we're going to be getting into the uh, awards season bait, whatever. And um, I think that's the big stuff. Um, that's all that's on the plate for right now. Uh, everything else is just stuff that needs to be in the work. That's in the works that needs to be taken care of behind the scenes before we can make any major announcements. Hmm. 
Alright, um, you can find me at, at @minikui at M-I-N-I-K-U-I on Twitter. Uh, plus, if you're in the Northeast Ohio area, I believe around when this airs will be Tech Week for a musical that I'm in. So you can buy tickets now. It's at Near West Theater. I'm doing a production of Carnival. It's a multi-generational cast of people ages seven and up dealing with some pretty dark themes and some fantastic staging and it'll be great so come see it tickets are ten dollars for adults eight dollars for kids very affordable evening out um yeah, yeah. and then max is at maxolotl m-a-x-o-l-o-t-l 67 i believe on the tweeters yes uh and then I am lame, and I'm just on Facebook. <laughs> but you are. Uh, you're not exactly. You're, you're not exactly missing all that much. Yeah. No. I I I'm the edge lord. I do not people. I do not do other things. This is my only outlet. Outlet. <laughs> and even this almost takes all my spoons. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that that should take care of us for now. All right. Until next time, you'll find us living in the stacks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We can cut that. We can cut this part out. Getting the uh, Discord thing ready. With my my, hus- my husband well. is rustling trash bags anyway. <laughs> All, right. Uh, okay. All right, we're back, and we've got two very. Sorry, I was drink- taking a drink. <gasps> no, no beverages on the podcast. <laughs> oh, gosh, let us we're... have our break. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is break time. Not, okay, not, somebody this. likes to complain about things taking too long. I'm trying to move us along swiftly. <laughs> Breaks can be edited. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, now I'm just being the, obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious. <laughs> um, nah, nah, we're going diver- to divert into our, our podcast within a podcast. Soda talk, because I'm drinking a diet fan- uh, Fanta Zero. Anyway, all uh, right, coming back. Okay.